Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. May your name be praised. May our hearts be open. May the word be declared. May the church be healthy. And may we partner in your mission to restore all things. Amen. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. And with that one word, Jesus changed the way humans relate to God. I want to welcome you to Emmaus Church this morning. My name is Nathan. It's great to see you guys here. Welcome if you joined us online. We're super grateful that you've decided to participate with us from your homes. I hope things are going well at home. And I uh, want to encourage you to participate as well as you can. Let's see, a few things. Um, if you are new with us and aren't connected through email yet, we would love to establish that connection. Fill out a communication card, if you would, for me today, and we can get you on um, our, our, our list and our process. It's really important that we get connected and stay connected, especially when it's such a challenging thing to do. If you're watching online and you're not, um, you haven't shared your contact info and you'd like to, my wife Carmen is hosting our 9 o'clock online gathering, and you can just share a note with the host uh, today, that's Carmen, and if you'd like to get information about the church or just invite us to reach out to you, please go ahead and share. You can chat with the host there online, and you can share that, and only she will see it. Also, if you've got a kid or kids, kindergarten age or younger, we have a book to give to you today that will be a resource in this next season of church um, it's a, a book on the Lord's Prayer, and, and the hope is that this will be, and if you're, if you're at home, let us know if you want a copy, we'll get one to you. Uh, the hope is that this will be a tool that, that um, parents and grandparents can use to walk with their kids through this season of uh, focus on the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're talking about. We're starting a new series. It's our fall series we're starting today. We're going to do a deep dive into possibly the most famous prayer ever which is the prayer that Jesus taught. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's known as the opening line. It's referred to as the Our Father. In historic discipleship processes, going back to the second century, the very earliest preparation programs, the very earliest classes that a person would take to prepare for baptism, would include the study of and ultimately the memorization of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, uh, for 2,000 years, the Lord's Prayer has been included as one of four kind of fundamental parts of traditional Christian catechisms. If the Apostles' Creed reveals what Christians believe, then the Lord's Prayer is how Christians live. So that's how we'll address it. That's how we'll approach it. I think this is the most interesting thing that I've read about the Lord's Prayer in recent weeks. I don't know how I missed this for so long, but I did. Uh, and I just discovered it in the last couple of weeks as we've been preparing for this. The, and it is this, that the prayer has long been considered a summary of the teachings of Jesus. Had you heard this before? I haven't, but I don't know how I missed it because so many people refer to it in this way. In a commentary on the Lord's Prayer written in the second century, a North African Christian leader named Tertullian called the prayer an abridgment of the entire gospel. And then you can just track through Christian history, leader after leader, 
influencer, pastor after pastor, refers to the Lord's Prayer as a summary of the gospel. A modern Christian theologian wrote, if somebody said, give me a summary of Christian faith on the back of an envelope, the best thing to do would be to write the Lord's Prayer. This is fascinating to me. And we're going to talk about this more on Wednesday night. This Wednesday, we're kicking off the second section of the Way of Life Catechism. You can participate in that through home groups. Many are still happening. Some still have room. You can sign up for a home group online, EmmausCommunity.org. Also, however, this fall, we're offering the catechism in a large group format right here in the theater, live on Wednesday nights at 645. Also, we'll be putting that live online, so you can participate from your homes if you like. Rob Elisher and I will be teaching uh, the Lord's Prayer content, supplementary content to the sermon content. It won't be the same stuff. But we're going to talk about this more um, Wednesday, and you can just come Wednesday. You don't have to sign up for that. But if you would have asked me, what is the summary of the um, entire gospel, meaning how would you summarize the teachings of Jesus I probably would have responded with a truth claim. I probably would have said, I probably would have tried to summarize the teachings of Jesus with some sort of pithy statement, like Jesus reveals God's love for the world, or something like that, right? Um, but because I was trained in a time, and I was trained in a tradition that emphasized theology, which is how you think about God. For, but, but for most of the last 2,000 years, Christian leaders have agreed that the best summary of the gospel is a prayer, which is how you relate to God. It's how you talk to God. It's how you live with God, how you view God. And this is so fascinating to me. I love theology. I will pick a theological book over any other kind of book nine times out of ten. I just love it. But how captivating is it that the best summary of the gospel could be a prayer? It really shifts our understanding of the big picture. Um, here's the prayer. It, appa- it appears two places in the Bible. Luke um, records it, which is what I've quoted from to start the sermon, Luke 11. Matthew also records it in chapter 6 of his gospel. Matthew's account is quoted way more often. And uh, so let's read this. Um, here's how it appears in Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And in the earliest manuscripts, this last part isn't included. Jesus probably didn't say this, apparently. But because this prayer has long been used in public worship, the church added what is called the doxology to this prayer, which goes like this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So a few questions this morning. First, why? Why is the Lord's Prayer seen by so many key historic figures in the church as a summary of the gospel? Well, that's the question we're going to dive into this fall, but here's the short answer. Okay, here's the short answer. Because the prayer that Jesus teaches reveals how to be in a true and meaningful relationship with God. 
It's considered a summary of the gospel because this prayer that Jesus teaches reveals how to be in a true and meaningful relationship with God. All right, I need some help from some volunteers this morning, just um, in the form of a raised hand, maybe several of you would, would answer this question briefly. What is your dad's name, and what do you call him, or what did you call him when you were little? I need several of you. I'm going to start with the oldest first. I th- there's got to be somebody here older than Andrea. Okay, Andrea's mom. There we go. Um, so I need a few more. Okay, good. We'll go here. Go ahead. What, what, is, what is your dad's name and what did you call him? Okay. Called him daddy. Name is Ron. Called him daddy. Jose. Called him dad. Good. Andrea. Called him dad. Good. Anybody else? Luisa. Okay. Adrianus. You called him daddy. Okay. Good. Benjamin, did you want to share? I thought I saw your hand up. We need a little one. Oh, thanks. Jude. What's your dad's name? I think I heard of him. Rich. You call him daddy? Good. Good. Any exceptions to the dad-daddy name in this group today? Yeah? Tony? Your kids call you Pops. You're, okay, good, good. Name is Tony. Kids call him Pops. That's great. Good. Some say that the most revolutionary thing that Jesus did, and Jesus did some revolutionary things, and he said some revolutionary things, but some argue that the most revolutionary thing that Jesus did was to address God as Father, In ancient Jewish culture, which is the culture Jesus grew up in, you didn't even say the name of God. You wrote the name of God without, like, some of the letters so that you wouldn't accident. And you certainly didn't refer to God as Father. I find one exception in the Old Testament in a psalm, Psalm 89. But I think it's the only one. In Jesus' day, God was referred to as the Almighty Right? He was referred to as the Holy One. He was referred to as the Lord, the God, as opposed to the gods, the God, and, and sometimes as the Most High. Okay, these are names that communicate power. They communicate otherness. These aren't warm, cozy, friendly names, right? These are like almighty. They evoke reverence. They might evoke even fear. Uh, But when the disciple asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and Jesus begins with Father, I mean, they must have been shocked. Because nobody prays like this, right? They'd never heard this before. And and nobody addresses God like Father. In fact, what Jesus actually said feels a bit uncomfortable, I think, even to us. The word that is translated into the English Father is the word Abba, which is the word that Jesus as a little boy would have called his dad Joseph, right? So Jesus is referring to the divine with the same word that he uses like so many of you to refer to your dads. The same word that your child uses to refer to you as a father is the word that Jesus is using to refer to God. Abba is the, is the word, and it, and it evokes this, this robust um, collection of associations. 
Abba suggests closeness and familiarity. It suggests approachability, nurture, and trust, and respect and love. There isn't a perfect English translation for the word Abba because Abba communicates traits that we typically think we, most of us who've grown up in this culture, most of us think of certain traits as feminine and other traits as masculine. And this word Abba communicates both. In other words, this word Abba is a paternal word, but it is also a, it has maternal, what we would think of as maternal qualities as well. Father is, in a literal sense, what the word means. It's a, it's a fair translation. It's probably the best translation into English. But in our culture, father feels nobody said that their dad's name was rich and they call him father. Because in our culture, at least at this time, father feels formal. It feels a bit official. It's not super relational. Someone might even ask who was the father in a situation where there was zero relationship whatsoever, right? The word daddy spoken from the mouth of a child probably more closely captures what is meant in the word Abba. And this is the word that Jesus uses when the disciples ask him how to pray. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it feels almost overly intimate to to me. When you pray, say, daddy. I mean, this is remarkable. This is revolutionary for a couple of reasons. First reason this is revolutionary to call, to refer to the divine as daddy It's revolutionary because Abba reveals how Jesus views God. This reveals the kind of relationship that Jesus has with God. Jesus understands himself to be the son of God. He is the son of God. Others understand him to be the son of God by nature. And then the second reason that Jesus is calling God Abba is revolutionary is because he's not just calling him Abba in his own prayer time. He's actually instructing his disciples to pray And to use this word for God as well. So Jesus is inviting others to refer to God the same way Jesus himself refers to God as daddy. This is is revolutionary. Even today, 2,000 years into the Jesus tradition, it feels a bit shocking. Does it not? It feels a bit shocking to me. Probably because to me, dad feels, and that's what I call my dad is dad. It feels too informal. It feels a bit too casual. What's difficult for most of us modern English speakers to grasp is that without diminishing the reverence for God even a little, without diminishing reverence, calling God Abba introduces a whole new level of relationship, which is a level that is marked by deep affection and intimacy and trust. Abba in this Eastern culture that Jesus is growing up in, Abba is totally respectful. It's not, it doesn't diminish the reverence in its familiarity. It recognizes the authority of the Father while at the same time, and this is what's so powerful about it, at the same time it communicates affection and the assurance that I am a loved, I'm a beloved child and I'm accepted by my dad. Later, Christian theologians would say that what Jesus is by nature, we are by grace. Paul says that we've been adopted as children of God, adopted into the family as as daughters and sons of God. We'll talk more about that later. But what I'm trying to point out this morning is that Jesus changes the game. In just the 
at the address of this prayer, before we even get to the real content of the prayer, Jesus has already taken humanity closer to God than anybody before him or anybody since. How has he done that? Simply by referring to God as Abba and then by inviting all of us to do so as well. I mean, it's, it's incredible. This is, like, this is like the invention of human flight or something like that that simply just introduces a whole new set of possibilities for humanity. Things that were not possible before become possible now. This is a quantum leap in human spirituality. Some say that from a history of world religions perspective, not a Christian perspective, not a biblical perspective, but if you were in a freshman college class called the Survey of World Religions, the most remarkable contribution, they would say, made by Jesus of Nazareth was the idea, introducing the idea of God as Father, not as spiritual force, not just as creative power, but as a relational being. The idea that one could have a relationship with the divine that is similar to a parent-child relationship, this is revolutionary. There are a few examples in the Old Testament of individuals who have a special, like other than almost afraid of him all the time kind of relationship with God. Moses comes to mind. He's called God's friend. This is remarkable in the Old Testament. Moses is way out in front of almost everybody else. But here Jesus introduces an even closer possibility, which is an intimate relationship with the divine that is best compared to the relationship that a father or mother has with, with their child. And while the idea of God as Father may be noted as an interesting contribution um, within the arena of world religions, where it really matters and where it is meant to matter, friends, is in the heart and in the mind of the individual. When Jesus thought God, he thought Abba. When Jesus talked to God, he was talking to his Abba. When Jesus faced criticism and conflict and violent persecution, what is remarkable about Jesus is that he does so with peace and confidence. How does he do that? Because of his image of God. Because he understands that God is his dad. And God is right there with him. Which leads to a really important question. Here's the important question for the morning. We're talking about this revolutionary advancement of possibility for the human that is made, that is made known by Jesus simply in referring to God as, as Father, as Abba. Which leads to this really important personal question. How do you see God? How do you see God? It's probably the most important factor in your spirituality. It's probably the thing that shapes your spiritual formation more than anything else. Your image of God. How do you see God? How do you view God? How do you think of God? What do you believe God to be like? What is your image of God? Some of us probably imagine God as an authority figure, maybe ready to punish bad behavior. We might see God as aloof or disinterested, not necessarily angry, but not necessarily loving. Most of us, and it's just the way we're wired, it's just the way it is as humans, this is just the way it works, most of us will default to an image of God that is a whole lot like the image we have of our Father. 
or our mother. And for some of us, that is a major hurdle to get over. And for some of us, it's like a glowing neon arrow pointing us in the right direction. But for all of us, every single one of us, there's this ongoing struggle that's related to the fact that our parents are ultimately their broken icons. They're broken icons. Yes, they reflect the love of God to us, but they do so more or less well. <laughs> they do so more or less truthfully. They're broken icons. They're reflecting the love of God to us, and some are doing it pretty well. Some are doing it pretty poorly. It's remarkably sobering to come to terms with this now as a father of older kids and to realize with tears that some of my own kids' struggles with God are absolutely related to my failure to accurately reflect God's love to them. For better or worse, a person's image of God is based, at least initially, it's based on the image of their parents. I think we just need to acknowledge that we just need to acknowledge that. What a privilege that is for us who are parents. What a responsibility that is for us as parents. And then aside from the privilege and responsibility that a parent has to reflect God to their kids, it's also helpful to simply recognize that ultimately Jesus is the only one who accurately reflects God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, right? Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Only Jesus does this perfectly. And how does Jesus reflect God? He reflects God. He reveals God as a good father, as our Abba in heaven. And, and that's an image that is revolutionary. It could and should be really helpful to us. Clearly, we all are in the real world. We've all got dirt on our shoes we all are struggling at some level with our own image, uh, images of father, and that idea even of father probably carries some baggage for almost all of us, if not all of us. But to recap, in the process of dealing with that baggage, let's not get too hung up with the helps and hindrances of our own parents, our own human parents. Instead, here's the invitation. It's to respond to Jesus's invitation to see God as Abba, to see God as Jesus sees God. Why is this important? Because an inaccurate understanding of God is destructive. An inaccurate understanding of God is not just untrue, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Inaccurate images of God lead to unhealthy behaviors. If I see God as like some sort of cosmic judge I might live my life trying um, to earn his approval or avoid his punishment. If I see God as disinterested, I might feel like nothing I do really matters because God doesn't care anyway. Or I might swing the other direction and I might try to just impress God with everything I do and earn his attention. Uh, there's a lot of examples we could probably point to here. Let me tell you just one story. When I was in grad school, I worked for the chaplain's office at a college, and I worked with a, an undergrad who was super gifted. This kid was a powerful speaker, and he had this really remarkable capacity for risk. So he was perceived as very faithful. He was perceived as having this remarkable faith because he was willing to do things that other people weren't willing to do. He appeared to have this really advanced relationship with God, but he had this idea that he needed to get God's attention. That was his phrase. His idea was that he needed to get God's attention. Where did that come from? He never knew his dad. 
So it wasn't hard to figure out where that idea came from. It was rooted in his broken image of his earthly father. However, he transitioned that, transferred that to, the, to his father in heaven, and he was convinced that he needed to get God's attention. That's an inaccurate view of God. God already is paying attention to you. Right? Have you ever had a, have you ever had a, um, tried to have a conversation with um, like a mom of a toddler? She can't even finish a sentence, right? She can't even like keep, and it's not her fault. It's because she's she knows what the little guy is and where he's climbing and what he's about to break and all that stuff, right? She, her attention is focused on the child. God is not um, lacking the ability. It's instinctive, right? God already is paying attention to you. You don't have to do something to gain his attention. So it's an inaccurate understanding of God to say, I have to gain his attention. Well, what unhealthy behaviors did this lead this young brother to? Well, wild and reckless efforts to get God's attention, to demonstrate just how intense and for real he was. It was a cry for help. It was unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Friends, one of the reasons we should pray the Lord's Prayer is because the prayer itself invites us into a right view of God, into a right relationship with God, into living as we were created to live. That's why we should pray this prayer. How am I invited to relate to God, the, the, the creator of the universe? According to Jesus, I'm invited to relate to God as my Abba, the totally available, completely attentive, Completely trustworthy, protecting, nurturing, loving, truly good parent, the Holy Father, right? And the kind of relationship with God that the Lord's Prayer invites me to live, it's just revolutionary. It's simply put, it's just life-changing. And that's the point this morning. That's the point. That this part of the prayer... That I typically just rush past. I pray this prayer as to part of my normal prayer every morning. And almost until recently, because I started digging into it, it was, it's, like, it's like a governor for me. It's like it's pumping the brakes a little bit for me. Because typically I'll pray this prayer like, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'm just trucking. But the point of this sermon this morning is to say, wait a minute, right out of the gate, Jesus invites us into this revolutionary relationship with God. And that's the point. What we typically see as normal, we're 2,000 years into the tradition. It's normal to hear people now praying, Father, thank you for this food. That was not normal. This is a revolutionary invitation into a completely different kind of relationship with God. We shouldn't just rush, rush past it. And then, just a little tag on here at the end of the sermon. And we're going to get more into this in the next couple of weeks. But by inviting us into a, a revolutionary relationship with God, Jesus also invites us into a revolutionary relationship with others. Okay, right out of the gate. Matthew's account has Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father, right? Our. Collective, plural, possessive, pronoun, God is not just Jesus' Abba. God is not just Kale's Abba. He's not just my Abba. He's, he's our Abba. He's our Father. This is a revolutionary. It is the revolutionary relational foundation of the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love others. Right? Our Father. We have a common 
Father. And it changes everything. How do you love God if God is a tyrant, if God is manipulative, if God is absent? How do you love that kind of a God? I don't think you can. You can obey that kind of a God. You can fear that kind of a God. You can serve that. But can you love that kind of a God? I don't think you could. But you can love a father. You can love a father. And then to the others bit. How do you love others if you think differently than they do, if their political opinions crash right into yours, if they come from another part of the world than you, if they just see things different, if the, th- if the strategies they think will help are the very strategies you think are the problem, how can you love those people? You can't. You can coexist. You can tolerate them. But love them? I don't think you can. Unless you actually see them at some level, as part of the family. And now there's like a whole new capacity for love that cannot exist in, other, in any other way. You have the same father. So we, we've got to rise above all the differences, and we've got to choose to base our social interactions on a revolutionary invitation. Friends, We're like 45 days away from an election. It's already been bad. It's going to get worse, right? But we can base our interactions with one another on a belief that fueled a quantum leap in world religions, on a perspective that changed the way humans relate to God and to one another. In order to love God and love others, we have to live the Lord's Prayer. In order to love God and love others, we have to learn to live the Lord's Prayer, which begins, Our Father. Let's pray. On one hand, I want to say thank you, Lord, for the accessibility to the gospel, the Christian faith. Dozens of people I can point to as mentors that have shown me Jesus. Thank you for how, in one sense, easy it has been for me to learn about you and to know you. And on the other hand, I pray that the, all that familiarity and that accessibility would not numb my soul and ours to the revolutionary power of what you are inviting us into. So may the things that have become common and normal to us, may the words and the concepts and the truths that we've just become so familiar with, we we don't even think about them when we say them anymore. I pray that they would breathe new life into our hearts and minds in this season. And this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you that is so powerful and intimate at the same time, that is familiar and full of reverence, that fills us with hope and with love and with confidence. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. Help us to embrace you as such. In Jesus' name, amen.